This is Roof English Radio with Darinata, daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. Hello, it's Roof English Radio. My name's Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company. It's a Monday afternoon, about ten past two as we sit here, and that most Mondays means that we have an episode of the week in Iceland. Delighted to say that that's happening on this particular day, and my guest is my colleague here at Roof, Erla Maria Davidsdottir. On a busy week. Yeah, a definitely. A lot's been happening. Yes, a lot's been happening. And you've spoken to someone who's at the heart of one of those stories. We've got a lot to get through, but I do want to start here because it seems to be a big story. And, of course, over the course of the weekend on Roof, Song for Kepnin, the ten songs that will compete were unveiled. One of them is by a Palestinian musician called Basha Murad, yeah. who you interviewed last week. Yeah, I got to speak to him this this weekend, actually, weekend, about, his, yeah. about his entry and about the competition and everything. And there have been a lot of speculation about why he's entering the competition at this point. Everything's going on in Gaza, the, the invasion of Hamas on the 7th of October. And um, he actually told me that this has been in the works for, like, a year and a half, he's been planning on entering the competition. He got involved with Hatare in 2019. They mm. entered for Iceland in 2019 in the Eurovision Song Contest and and made their stance on the conflict uh, between Israel and Palestine very evident. They waved the flag, so and they got into contact with each other. They published a song. Uh, which was, I think, fairly popular here in Iceland. Mm. And that's how Icelanders came to know of Bashar Murat. Yes, that was the follow-up single, I think, to Hattari Hunzigla, which was the the Hattari song, of course, that did very well in Eurovision, came 10th that particular Mm. year. The, The controversy, such as it is... It's all to do with what appears to be the timing of this. Yes. So he's one of the ten contestants and his song is one of the ten songs to compete. They get revealed at a time when, of course, this conflict is at this particular stage. But what's interesting, just to underline about your interview, is that he said that he first thought about entering Song for Kepnin two years ago now, back in 2022. Yes. He he actually told me that he got the idea when he got into contact with Hattari in 2019, that mm. he actually, that there was a little seed that was planted in his brain, like maybe I could maybe one day potentially be on the stage. Yes. Um, and then two years ago, roughly, he got into contact with Einar from Hattari. And they started talking amongst themselves, how can we do this and everything. Mm. They actually had in mind to to en- enter last year, but decided to wait one year. Yeah. So I, I can't imagine, I mean, if they had applied for the contest last year because of the conflict now, mm. it might be a totally different conversation that we were having. And a really important part of the conversation is the question that you asked him about whether he wants to take part in Eurovision. Now, that would never have been a question before, but because of the very strange circumstances in in which the contest finds itself this year, or unique circumstances, I should say, which is that Iceland is not necessarily going to take part in Eurovision, there'll be a decision made by Ruv in consultation with the winner. Did you get a sense from him what his decision might be? Does he want to go to Eurovision, should he win? He was really, he didn't really want to talk about the final decision and ha- sad that he hadn't put a lot of thought in it. He takes it just one step at a time, one day yes. at a time. And I mean, I can't imagine living like under occupation uh, because he's brought up in Jer- Jerusalem. Um, he said like, we have to take one day at a time. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Yes. So he was just like, that's my mindset going into the competition. I don't know how this is all going to turn out. He was really humble, I thought, when talking to him. And he said, like, 
when word got out that he was potentially uh, competing for Iceland, um, we went to number one in the polls. In the, favorite, be- the betting odds. Yeah, the yeah, betting, yeah. 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 The, we were the favorite to win as Still of now. Are. And Ukraine has been on top for like a two or three years. So uh, you might connect that. It's directly linked, I think, to yeah. the news that he might be potentially. And then the, the contestants were revealed this weekend. And I asked him... Are you going to compete? Are you going to be on mm. the big stage? And he d- said, I'm just going to take it one day at a he time. He doesn't know. But what's interesting, of course, is that he entered before this question arose. He entered at a point when, obviously, the winner of Song for Kevin would go to Eurovision, when that wasn't in doubt. Yes. And didn't withdraw upon that conflict taking on its new level. He's stayed in the competition throughout all of that period. I don't know, you might want to deduce from that that maybe he would want to go to Eurovision. Yeah, I could imagine so. I mean, because he told me that it's been his dream for a long time to, to maybe yeah. compete one day. And apparently his parents had an initiative in Palestine, I think in 2007, they were trying to get Palestine into Eurovision. So uh, maybe this b- might be him fulfilling a lifelong dream, yes. regardless of him being from Palestine or not. So. Now, obviously, there's a bit of focus on him for the reasons that we've discussed, but he's just one of 10 yes. competitors. Yes. Just one of ten songs that is competing. His song and the other nine, they were revealed on Saturday night. And we look ahead now to the first semi-final on the 17th of February. The second semi-final is on the 24th. And then, of course, the grand final itself to ordinarily decide what Iceland's entry is. Um, that happens in March. So it's all ramping up once again, isn't it? Yes, definitely. So it will be, it'll be exciting to see how it all will unravel. So Yes, and I think a lot of people will have their own views on how it should unravel as well as how it will unravel. Yeah. Let's talk about Grindavik, of course. It's never been far from the top of the agenda for obvious reasons over the last few months as well. Residents are going to be allowed back soon. There were hopes, I think, this was going to happen on Friday. Yeah. That wasn't possible. But there was a civil defence briefing over the course of the weekend in which a plan was revealed to allow residents to return briefly for, we think, about three hours at a time. Yeah, three hours at a time. And they're going to be allowing, I think, I think they're going to be allowing like residents of 150 houses like before noon and then 150 houses after. Yes. Yeah, in, in, in the afternoon. So it's going to be 300 houses each day. If people do return, they can't use the toilets. No, they can't use the toilets, and they the can't ones. can't uh, meddle anything with the the th- thermometer because yes. the houses are in the uh, I don't know exact temperature. Yes, because, because the residents the... they handed over their keys, didn't they? Yes. So plumbers could go in and check that yeah. everything was working, yeah. and the temperature has been said it won't be very comfortable in the homes, but mm-hmm. it'll be warm enough to make sure they don't freeze. Yeah, so the pipes yeah. won't freeze, and everything will stay intact. People can register for those trips into the town 14 days in advance. And at the end of that briefing on Saturday, Head of Civil Defence, Vida Reynason, said that Grindavik will be a good and prosperous town again. I'm even more convinced of that now, which I'm sure is what a lot of residents will want to hear. There is still, however, a lot of doubt as to whether many residents will want to return, given the uncertainty, and even the risk of having to be evacuated every month, of which we've, course. we've seen I mean, three times. You, you can you can imagine, like, they're, they're, I mean, because of the earthquakes, I mean, the actually the, the earth might just fall down if you're walking, so yeah, it's yeah. going to be cracks and everything. So, I mean, I think for people, maybe people that have children and, like, older people, because if you're walking and you, I mean, the earth could literally fall down from under your feet. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are just weighing the... The pros and cons of living in Grindavik. And I think we've seen as well with the, I mean, the only injury or fatality, incredibly, throughout all of this was the gentleman who was lost in that crevasse, who was trying to repair the damage. Yes. And I think since then, a lot of parents in Grindavik are thinking, well, we can't have our kids 
running around if the earth is potentially going to swallow them up in yeah, this way? I think that's the I think that's the case. People are just weighing the safety mm. measures. I mean, and just is it practical to be living in Grindavik at this time? So yeah. I think a lot of people are actually just thinking about like settling somewhere else. And maybe on, on Reykjaneskaya, maybe in Keplavik or Urvogar, not far away, but yeah, this is actually indeed a sad sad story and, and I mean he said is is probably gonna be a good and prosperous town. Of course that's the hope of everybody, but time will tell. Time will tell. Well yeah. let's return to something that we've touched on in a slightly different context, and that is the situation in Gaza. And mm-hmm. Iceland's foreign minister has, along with some other countries, decided to pool funding to a UN body because of accusations that they or some of their members were actually part of that Hamas attack on the 7th of October. What do we know about this? Well, uh, I think it's just before, I think on the weekend, there were like accusations of 12 employees of the UN uh, initiative that helps people from Palestine, that Mm. they will potentially were involved in the attack of Hamas on on Israel on the 7th of October. And there's an investigation going on. And I think Pjatti uh, Bentesson, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, he just decided on the weekend that we would uh, withdraw our funding to, to the UN at this time um, while they're actually just seeing if these accusations are true or not. Mm. And there's been a lot of, like, with the, the, with the opposition, um, they've been really... Because people in Gaza, they're in dire need. They, mm. they need this funding to, to just survive. So there's been a lot of controversy about this uh, decision because he, apparently he didn't, um, he didn't talk to anybody. He just yes. took this decision and just decided on behalf of the, the Icelandic government. So it's going to be... I, I tried to... I actually was on this case this weekend. I was working and I was trying to get talk to Katrin Jakobsdóttir, uh, our prime minister, but couldn't talk to her. Mm. She, she wasn't available. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what takes she will have on yes. this particular subject. And it's another issue on which she has yet to say something concerning something that he has said. Yes. Because, of course, we go back a week and he, the foreign minister, who's in her government but not in her party had posted on Facebook what were felt to be some fairly inflammatory comments about the protests yes. taking place outside yeah. Althingi. So, and she didn't make any comment on that either. No, yes, no, no. Uh, um, the, our Prime Minister, Katrin Jakostotter, she wasn't available for comment this weekend. Yeah. So I'm really, it's going to be interesting if they will be able to contact her today and she will. she's going to comment on this yes. because she see her. Take the politics out of this. There is a humanitarian crisis taking place in Gaza. Yeah. No one can really sensibly deny the reality of that. Mm-hmm. And the consequence of pulling funding, and of course Iceland's not the only country to have done this, is that those very desperate people might find themselves in an even more desperate position. So those critics of him have a point, don't they, in that at least there should have been some scrutiny of this decision? Of course, yeah, because it seems like he just decided at the drop of a hat to just to pull funding without consulting anybody. Mm. But he said that that Iceland is going to be consulting with the other Nordic countries. Norway has taken a stance in this matter and, and they decided to keep funding until until they know until what they was know going more. on. Yeah, yeah, until they know more. Well, should we stay with politics and indeed stay with the party of the foreign minister, that's the Independence Party, and the Left Greens, the party of the prime minister, two of the three governing parties in Iceland at the lowest or the joint lowest polling ever in the latest survey. This is from the company Maskina, but of course Gallup do a monthly survey as well, which has showed very similar figures. The Independence Party 
is polling at 16.6%. It was something like 25% at the last election, so it's lost a lot of support. The left Greens, which is the party of the Prime Minister, have dropped to their second lowest ever, 5.7%. So they're just above the threshold. That means they would get any seats at all. So this is not good news for the government when two of the three parties are, are showing record low levels of support. Yeah, Definitely it's not. But this has been like, I think people say that this has probably been like in the making for quite a long time. There's been a lot of people in within the society that really not are happy with, with the Icelandic government and how they're just taking on um, various like mm. th- that's happening in the in the in, just in the whole world. So this is yeah. And with the uh, the food minister, what, what her, her decision on the on the whaling? I mean, her party has not been like high in the polls. What they did get, what uh, was it? Left Greens currently five point seven. Five point seven. So you see, so there are a lot of people that think that the the, actually the Icelandic government might maybe just blow up. Then they will have to, and because of the yeah, because of what the uh, food minister did. So this is not a good. This these indeed are not good news for the. No, and I remember at the time when that decision was made, mm. all the parties were at pains to say, no, this is not going to hurt the coalition. It's not going to hurt the yeah. government. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Spin forward yeah. to now, of course, you've got the parliamentary ombudsman saying the decision, at least the way it was implemented, was in fact contrary to the law. You've got now this issue which wasn't a big political issue maybe for the government and the governing parties but now it seems to be yeah it seems to be that this is a really big issue and and it's going to be like because there are so many difficult matters that the icelandic government have has to face over the past what one or two three years like covid and then do you think that's what's kept it together because we spoke about this on the show last week and there is a feeling that when you've got a government that goes through something like covid however well they do it or however badly they do Mm -hmm. it 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 gives them a bit of a chance to stick together and be seen to be sticking together. Yeah. Do you think I, that's one of the I reasons think, why it lasted? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case because when they got into the coalition, like the left Greens and the Independence Party, it's two parties that you couldn't really yeah. see working well together. And now you see like the Prime Minister and the, the Minister of Foreign Affairs working really, really closely together and yes. actually becoming friends. So, yeah, I think that's probably one of the factors, yeah. Do you think that when the next election comes round, there's any chance of that coalition forming once again, even if it splits up and causes an election? <laughs> um, <laughs> With different players in, you in, in place, You never know when maybe. people go into the voting booth and yeah. vote. You never know what, what they're going to do. But I, I can't imagine that that same coalition will be... The next, yeah, we, it just won't be possible. No, yeah, I don't know. It's just the feeling I have, but yeah, could yeah. be wrong. I don't know. I mean, looking at the numbers, it's a really interesting question. This is only an opinion poll, of course, but there yeah. have been quite a few suggesting the same kind of figures. If this were to happen in a general election, you would need at least three parties. One of which would be the Social Democrats. If they weren't part of the mix, you'd need at least four. Mm-hmm. So you really have to start sticking a lot of potentially different parties together to get yeah. over the line here, don't you? Yes, that's actually yeah, that's actually what you have to do. So I don't know. Probably I think maybe the left green and the independence party because they have been like working so closely together during this coalition. It depends on how the how the voting will go. But I I I can see like a coalition. The next coalition will be left green and maybe the independence party. But who mm. will go with them? Because. 
my sense of this before COVID was that the only thing that held these three parties together, the Progressive Party, of course, is the other party in the coalition we should yeah. mention. The thing that unites them is that they are opposed to Iceland being part of the European Union. Now, Vizreden mm -hmm. and the Social Democrats are in favour of Iceland being part of yeah. the European Union. Is that a big enough issue, do you think, to stop maybe the Social Democrats of Israel from, from working with, say, the left Greens and the independents? I, I think so, yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, <laughs> think I mean, it's a big issue to tackle to, if you're going to be with within the EU or not. So you're going to be, yeah. Or, or, yeah, I think it's a... It's that's a, a deal breaker. Yeah, it's, that's my yeah. that's my feeling of it, yeah. Because it seemed to be when the coalition was formed two elections ago, so maybe mm -hmm. it still would be again. That's very interesting and something certainly to watch, I think, isn't yeah. it? Let's talk about Iceland offering more help to some of the poorest people in, well, possibly in the world, in the country of Malawi, the African country of Malawi. The Icelandic government making an additional contribution of 50 million kroner to a special fund of the World Bank and the government of Malawi. And as I say, this is an additional contribution. This is a relationship that has been going on for some time. Yeah. Um, Iceland and the United States are actually the founding members of the World Bank's fund, and it was established in 2022 um, at a critical time for the Malawi economy. And Iceland has already committed to contribute 420 Icelandic kronas, 420 million Icelandic kronas to the fund over a three-year period. So this is a this is a really Really significant. Yeah, significant. Extra, yeah. yeah. The policy of the government in Malawi is to create over half a million green jobs this year. And the director of the Icelandic embassy in Malawi says that the project's already helped and improved the welfare of the worst off in the country. That's Ingadora Petersdottir. So as we say, it's a continuation of a successful yeah. relationship. Yeah, seems. of course. I mean, I think it's really important to be a part of this conversation and be a part of helping like the the countries like Malawi that are in dire need of financial funding. Mm. So, yeah. And I think it shows again, doesn't it, for anyone listening outside of Iceland, that this Iceland is a, a small country with a population of just under 400,000. But we're very fortunate. We're a wealthy country. There is money in society. We've seen that when yeah. spending happened on those protective dikes around Grindavik and around Svartsengi and the Blue Lagoon. There's money being discussed about how we might spend money to help the residents of Grindavik, and, and here we are spending mm -hmm. money as well to help people in other countries. Yeah. So this is a wealthy nation. Yeah, this is a nation that can help. And I think it's really like good that both of the the UN that we're helping people in Palestine and now we're helping Malawi. I think it's just mm. a really important thing to be contributing to the... Yeah, to, to, to the welfare of yeah, to the welfare of other nations, yeah. yeah. Well, as we sit here, as we say, it's about 25 past two on Monday afternoon and we have not yet had another eruption in or around Grindavik. And, of course, people have been watching this very, very, very carefully since that very brief eruption just yes. a couple of weeks ago. Scientists still think that we're broadly in the pattern now of there being frequent but short eruptions. But as we sit here, there's nothing imminent no there? there's nothing imminent at, the, at this time there's nothing that, that we're hearing that it's going on at, at, at Reykjanes Peninsula at the moment Erla thanks very much indeed for Thank going you. through the week in Iceland with me that's Erla Maria Davidsdottir here on Ruv English and you can get in touch with me anytime our email address is english at ruv.is there is more from Ruv English with all the news from Iceland in English at ruv.is slash English 
Roof English Radio is a daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof.